Okay, I, um, I know that around the country in services all over there will be a lot of um, patriotic, patriotic sermons and uh, presentations and those kinds of things. Uh, this is um, this is a difficult subject in that context because, in some sense, uh, we live in a uh, very different situation than most people. Uh, for most of history, and even to the present, people lived under the authority and control of elites. These elites are powerful because of two things, money and power. By money, I mean ownership of property or items of value that allow the possessor to manipulate and control others. And by power, I mean brute force or position over brute force that uh, allows them to impose their will on the unwilling. These elites, be they kings, tyrants, governors, Warriors have imposed their will on the rest of their fellow men. And in some cases, they enslaved them. And in some cases, slavery and peasantry were generally the same. Living at the will and whim of the Lord and Master, or the Sovereign of the country. We live in a unique and complicated governmental system. In 1776, July 4th, a group of men declared themselves to be free from such elites. And I want you to uh, have some understanding of that. And I would have, uh, 30, 40 years ago, felt this unnecessary. But today, uh, we need to take a look at the documents. So what I've done is I've taken out the middle section of the Declaration of Independence, where they basically uh, complain about King George. Uh, which is important, but I want you to see the first and the ending section so that you understand what this is about. And by the way, I believe that um, when it comes to national holidays, that part of what you do uh, is read something connected to that, not just eat a hot dog, right? So uh, that's just my idea there. When in the course of human events becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to this separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them seem most likely to affect this, their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, 
will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, invinces a design to reduce them under absolute depotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient suffering of these colonies, and such is now necessity which constrains them to alter their formal system of government. Then there are a number of complaints. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the recititude uh, of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, and with a firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, that statement is a humanistic statement under God. But God is not specific there. And that's part of the issue uh, that this is not in that sense a biblically based doctrine. This comes out of modernity. But it is the foundations of the country that you and I belong to. So this group of men established a government that would be in the words of Abraham Lincoln a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Rather than being ruled by elites, citizens of the United States would be uh, ruled by a government that was limited and guided by the Constitution and law rather than the governors. That would be balanced between the executive, legislative, and judicial structures to limit corruption, which is found in all governments. It would be subject to the will and redress of the people as voters with free speech. There would be a separation of federal and state distinctions of authority. And it would be established with full recognition of personal and protected civil rights. Among these rights are freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, religious practice, and protection from a government-established religion. For Jews and Christians, this has resulted in over 200 years of freedom under individual conscience to worship and practice our faith without fear. So, while this is a human institution, it is one that has been a haven, if you will, for Jews and Christians in this country. 
in a way that we have not had in any uh, country before. Um, and, and that is worth being thankful uh, about. And important to teach our children the foundations of that governmental system. But it is not the biblical view of government. So you and I have an American view of government that says we have certain rights and we only submit ourselves to a government that is of our choosing and of our making. I mean, that's a uniquely American perspective and that perspective did not exist when the biblical texts were being written. And the Bible is coming from a different perspective of government and of our allegiance towards government. So as Americans, we have one perspective and as Judeo-Christians, we have another perspective. These perspectives are not at odds with each other per se, but they are distinct and we need our children to understand that as well. So what is the biblical view? Well, I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 13. You, you will see in the Declaration of Independence, while they don't take it lightly, we're just going to throw them off because we don't like things, they do basically believe that they have a right and a duty to do that if they don't like the way the government is operating. Okay. Here's the writings of the Apostle Paul. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, called the government, the authority, is the minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. <clears throat> it is the minister of God, an avenger, who practices wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake. And for because of these things you pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoted themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, these look on the surface as if they are very different perspectives. And they are very different perspectives if you take each one as a complete absolute. If you understand that Paul is writing this when the Caesars are in charge of Rome and the elites and the despots are everywhere, the argument that you can just throw over a government anytime you want should go away and clearly the Declaration of Independence accommodates that. That this is not 
a thing that should be done lightly. We have a tendency in our culture to think that everything is a uh, basis for an act of rebellion. And we have to be careful about that. You and I are about to enter into the circus maximus of our culture. In the next few weeks, two parties with animal icon symbols are going to gather, uh, wear funny hats, and cheer and push for their agenda. And then they're going to place in nomination two people which for most of us would turn our stomachs. And what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to function both as believers and disciples and as Americans and put that into proper relationship. And that's not an easy thing to do. We have to remember that government is under God because there's no authority except for God. So there is a point at which a government can be opposed because it is in violation of what God has told us to do. But there's a difference between restrictions and limitations and God, the government requiring us to do something that God forbids us to do. And we have to be very careful that we do that appropriately. Uh, because to oppose government in that sense is to oppose God. And remember that was said in the context of the Caesars. Government's job is to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. Its job is not to make everything right in the world. Okay? And anybody who thinks the government can make everything right in the world uh, needs therapy. Okay? Because the history of governments, including our own, is ongoing periods of corruption and uh, disruption of people's lives. So the Judeo-Christian perspective of government is that government should reward those who do good and those who do evil it should punish. And that's pretty much its primary task. Uh, obedience then is done for two reasons. One, to avoid wrath. You make the government angry, they come after you. Okay? So uh, Proverbs says... Uh, Speak nicely to the king. Okay? Be, be careful of your attitude in front of the king. Why? Because the king can have you killed. Right? Not because he's right, but because he's king. Now, some of us get that. I grew up in a home where my dad said, I don't care what's right. I don't care what's wrong. It's my way or you're dead. Right? So I understand that kind of arbitrary notion. Uh, that's, that, I get that. Uh, and government can do that. So we have to be careful of that. We can be right and you can end up being dead right. That doesn't make you a martyr. It can be that you were dumb in a no-dumb zone. There's a difference. And I want to talk about that over several weeks uh, to come. So, uh, let me give you a biblical text. This is one that we look at often. Uh, that is about how we live as citizens of heaven in a culture and a country and believe me, I believe that this is the best place for Jews and Christians to live anywhere on earth in the present time. Okay? 
That may not always be the case, but it is now, and I have no plans to go anywhere, right? That's, that's the issue. So, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. This is a letter that is written by Jeremiah to the exiles who have been taken out of the promised land into Babylon. So again, they are in a culture that is very hostile to them and to their God. And we don't live in that. Okay. So he says, These are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officers, the prince of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of uh, Savram. I'm not going to read all that. We'll get to it. It's just a letter, okay? Uh, so verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let the prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. And do not listen to their dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now that verse is ripped out of context by just about every Christian I know to tie it into giving them a good life in America. It's not what this is talking about. But we are dispersed into the world. Israel's been dispersed into the world, and we have come to join the God of Israel and the Israel of God. And the day will come when the nations of this world will become the nations of our God and His Messiah. And so there is a place for a diaspora mindset in us that we should multiply, we should seek the welfare of the country that we're in, uh, even if that country were not as favorable as this one is to us. So... We are then told in 1 Timothy 2, and we read that earlier, that we are to pray for the government and pray for those who are our leaders. And so I'm not going to read that again, but the purpose of the prayer is so that we may lead quiet and tranquil life, raising our families, increasing not only our own families, but proclaiming the good news of the Lord to others so that they also join us in that quiet life waiting for the kingdom to come. But there is more. And this is the point of the message today. As citizens of the United States, you and I are the government. We the people are those who are referred to as of the people, by the people, and for the people in Abraham Lincoln's words. So what does this mean? 
from a biblical perspective? Well, first of all, of the people means that we are the source of the government and that our voice is to be included in public debate. But we have to be careful how we speak. You and I don't simply speak as Americans. We speak as citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and that has our first priority. It is one of the reasons why Christians are so incensed if somebody says of the Pledge of Allegiance that they're going to take out the words under God. Because we believe that that allegiance to the country is secondary to our allegiance to God. And so if they ever took that out of the Pledge of Allegiance, it originally wasn't in there, it was placed in there. If they took it out, I would be able to still give the Pledge of Allegiance, but I would have to start with, under God, I pledge allegiance to the flag, right? I could just do that, and I could teach my children and grandchildren to do the same. I wouldn't have to go into a full rebellion because they took those words out, okay? Because most of the people that say those words don't believe them. I do. Therefore, I could say them at the beginning. And if I was asked to say it publicly, I would start with those words. Had I put those words in the pledge, they would have been first and not in there. Not one nation under God. It would have been, under God, I pledge allegiance. Right? So, just telling you where I am. Don't want you to think I've gone crazy. I'm a carrier, but I, I'm not crazy. Okay? So, in First John chapter 4, John gives us a warning about speaking to our culture. 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jeremiah said the same thing. Watch out, these prophets, I didn't send them. We've got a lot of clergy saying a lot of stuff that's not biblical. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So those who confess in in effect the incarnation. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard that it is coming, and it's already now in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them, Because greater is he who is in you, the Spirit of God, than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. In this political framework that we're going to get, you're going to get a lot of people claiming that they're about God and country. But when they speak, they're going to speak classic American rhetoric and not biblical theology. Be careful of that. And be careful about what you say in those contexts. Because the people who don't belong to God and even those who claim they do, for the most part, don't know what spirit they are from. And what happens is, they get caught in this beating the drums for a fundamentalism of America in a warlike activity. Now, we're beginning to see violence on both ends of the political spectrum, and we ought not be involved in that. We are to pray that we live quiet 
and peaceable lives in that context. So, our voice will not make sense to the world. The early believers had to speak to pagans. Pagans saw the world very differently and could not understand Jews and Christians. We are not addressing paganism. We are addressing secularism. And I'm going to be speaking about this. I'm going to do a series. I've been working on this a while. About the battle that we need to fight now. We keep battling paganism. And the church ended paganism. Our problem is secularism that grew up in the modern era, which this declaration was part of. And when it moves as far as it's gone, radical secularism, it then becomes a problem just as difficult for us as paganism. But it's really easy to go, I don't believe in those pagan gods. It's much harder to navigate through secular political ideas and see that they're not godly. And we have to be careful about that. So our voice doesn't make sense to them. And I want us to understand this. If we're, care- if we're not careful in the way we talk, we will unleash persecution on ourselves and on our children. That's of the people. We are part of the government. No, no Christian group has ever had to be part of the government and part of the kingdom at the same time. In that sense. But we have that. We have that balance to deal with. Second one is by the people. By the people means that the government uh, is us. It doesn't just come from us, but it really is us. Those who work in the government are elected by us and paid through our taxes. And they are representing us. This means that our most important job as citizens is informed voting. This is problematic as many people who vote are manipulated, not informed. Okay? If all you do is spend your time listening to the talking heads on the radio and TV, you are not informed. You are manipulated. If you don't check out where they get their information, but you just go with whether you like what they say or don't like what they say, you are not informed. And most Christians can't tell the difference between a stampede and a revival. And then they just transfer that over in their political thinking. So be careful. In this, in this context. Jews and Christians cannot be allowed to vote uninformed because we are, not to, we are to do all things in the fear of the Lord. This is not a call for us not to vote because we're ignorant. It is a call to become informed and vote. Not become a political zealot, but to take this privilege of citizenship seriously as dual citizens of the kingdom of heaven and the United States. And that requires a struggle with the kingdom priorities and American priorities, which I will also address in that later series. But it's also for the people. That means that we are to seek the common good, not our own. American rugged individualism tends to make us forget that we are in this together as Americans. We must seek our common welfare, not our own selfish way. We don't vote for what's best for Christians. We vote for what's best for this country. Those are not always the same. Uh, The struggle for equal protection under the law from time to time is hijacked by those who wish to impose a political agenda of idealism 
on the rest of us. And we're seeing that now with this thing called psychological gender identity. A non-scientific, very bizarre, it opens up implications that we can't imagine in terms of psychological health and identity. The problem is that it's a political issue about being compassionate to all individuals, which we should be compassionate to all individuals. But what happens is we get these storms that we come through and then people either fight it tooth and toenail or they support it tooth and toenail and ignore the implications of that. Christians are guilty that we often want our country to be Christian But the implications of pluralism and entitlement, which are now far-reaching in this culture, are part of secularism, not biblical theology. So, tomorrow we celebrate the 4th of July. It's not a religious holy day, and it's one of the reasons why in this uh, sanctuary you will not see an American flag. There are many, many Baptist churches where there's a Christian flag on one side and an American flag on the other. There are many Reformed churches that have that. I've always kept flags out of the sanctuary. This area is dedicated to the kingdom of God and nothing else. You leave the United States of America when you enter that door. And you go back when you go out. Now, we don't check your passports, but that's what it is. The same thing in our homes. When you enter into your home, you enter into the kingdom of God. Almost like an embassy or an outpost. And then when you leave that, so here and in our homes, the rules of God are the the rules. When we enter beyond that, when I go out here, the American rules also control me. But my first allegiance is to God. So if they tell me to do something that God says no, I don't do it. If they allow something that God doesn't allow, I don't do it. If God allows something that they don't allow, I don't do it. Because I'm in subjection to those authorities. It's that kind of struggle that we have to think about and that we have to do. So, as citizens of the United States, we and our children are part of a people and a nation that is unique and has a beneficial governmental system which has served us well to this point. Our protection, however, is in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and in his Messiah, Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. So let us give thanks to God each day as we pray for our government that we have the blessing of this governmental system as we wait for the monarchy of the King of Kings to come. And we're going to have to be much wiser and much more aware uh, in times to come. Because we're going to see, I think, a bifurcating drive in this culture. One that's going to be very secular and particularly hostile to biblically based people. And on the other end, we're going to see a, uh, I think, a move within the religious communities that will make the religious right of the 80s look like a Boy Scout camp. And that scares me just as much. And the danger is for somebody to have their emotions triggered by the secularists and rebound 
into the fundamentalist uh, camp. And that's dangerous. We must walk by the light of God's word and his spirit, prepared to be persecuted. And one of the things that happens when you're in the light is that you can be seen by both sides and they tend to both shoot at you. Uh, But we have to be wise in this context and we have to teach our children. And in this next several months, as the chaos ensues, we are going to have to stay clear of biblical theology in terms of looking at this and then put the political stuff into proper relationship uh, to that. Beyond that, I'm never going to tell you how to vote. I'm only going to tell you to be informed and to vote. Because that is our right as an American. That is our responsibility as believers. Let's pray.